You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. When we think of Jesus, is it with that same freshness of love that we had when we first believed? That is when our burdens and sins were lifted. That rest, that joy, that excitement, or has time dulled our emotions? Have we slid back into the drab, ordinary, taking things for granted mode? You know, that's religion versus devotion. The Ephesian church written to in the book of Revelation had a lot to be commended on. They were doing great things for the kingdom. However, as you'll learn today in Pastor Mike's message, they had left one key component out of their walk with the Lord, their love for Him. The church at Ephesus needed to remember who their first love was. And maybe today you do too. Are you simply going through the motions of serving Jesus? If so, stop and remember why you serve Him and why you love Him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Church at Ephesus. I remember what you said You returned that I might live In my Father's house Here's the church that is exercising discernment, who's laboring, who's toiling, and persevering. And also, I want you to remember that this was a church that actually existed during John's day. In fact, let's take some time out and briefly talk about this particular church. You can read about a lot of what we know about this church from reading Acts chapters 18 through 20. Paul, according to the book of Acts, visited this church on several different occasions. And we are told from what we read that it was a strong church. It was a thriving church. It had a great testimony. It was influential throughout that whole area. But now it's some 60 years since Pentecost, since the establishing of that church. And they passed now through two generations of believers. And in the 20th chapter, there in the book of Acts, and I'm going to ask you to turn there with me, if you would. And let me set the stage for you. When for one last time, Paul passed near Ephesus, word had come back to the church. The elders came out to meet Paul, and it was quite a scene. It was really what you would genuinely call us, uh, uh, call a love fest. 
there was weeping, there was rejoicing. And during which time, where Paul met with the elders, he prophesied about things that would soon come to pass within that particular church. Now with that said, let's pick up in chapter 20 of the book of Acts in verses 29 and 30. He says this, and this is in the form of a prophecy. He says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speak perverse things, to draw away the disciples unto themselves. So, he's sharing this information with these elders. So obviously, from what we read here, now going back to Revelation chapter 2, obviously this word had been fulfilled. Because notice in verse 2 of chapter 2 here in Revelation, at Ephesus, right, he's, he's referring to this, he's alluring to this actually taking place. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that how that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. So listen, at Ephesus, the difficulties and threats came from within. And what was that threat? What were those difficulties? Folks, it was false teaching, false doctrine. That was the enemy. These false teachers, these self-proclaimed apostles that were seeking to advance these false teachings. But you got to love, again, the commendation of our Lord here. He says, you could not bear the evil ones. Again, what a great testimony. Listen, gang, some Christians today find it easy to bear with the real enemies of Christ within and outside the church. What am I talking about? Carnality. And carnality seems to be drifting into the church. Compromise. Indifference. And it's proponents. Oh, God help us to protect ourselves against these things. As the church, we can't bear with evil things or evil ones. We cannot tolerate these things. Listen, Ephesus had tested these individuals and found them liars. Now at this point I could hear I could almost hear these guys saying, Hey, wait a second, don't judge. Don't judge us, man. I mean, that's my reality. That's the way that I interpret the scriptures. But listen, we in fact are called to test the individuals, to make a righteous judgment, to judge a righteous judgment. And that becomes our third point, and that would be judge a righteous judgment. Notice there in the latter part of verse 2, he says, And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And Jesus is commending them. So to those who would say, don't judge man, that's my reality, right? Uh, that's my interpretation of the scriptures. Hey, listen, we're not to be good with that. We are to judge and judge righteously. You know, in 1 John, in chapter 4, in verse 1, we are exhorted there to try the spirits, to see if they are of God. Okay, so, what then is the standard of judgment? Well, it's the Word of God. You know, I'm reminded of the Bereans that are commended, recommended to us in the book of 
of Acts in Acts chapter 17, where when they heard the word of God, they received it with readiness of mind and heart, but they searched the scriptures for validation. They didn't take anything that was said through human instruments for granted or for biblical truth. They validated the claims that those men had shared with them. So, how do we know if someone is a teacher sent from God, a pastor, or an apostle? Well, Second John, in chapter 9, I'm going to ask you to, to turn there with me. Just go back uh, a couple of books of the Bible, two books to be exact, go to Jude, and then to Second John. And in 2 John, it's only one chapter, in verses 9 and 10, we are given some information on how we know if someone is a teacher or a pastor, a minister sent from God. 2 John, verses 9 and 10. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the doctrine of Christ. And that doctrine of Christ that's being advanced needs to be a biblical one. It needs to line up with the revealed scripture. It needs to be correct. And basically, it needs to project and declare how that God, the Son, the second person of the triune God, became a man and died for our sins in our place and rose again on the third day. And through faith in Him alone, we secure our salvation. Hey, listen, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Well, anyway, notice, let's go back to our text. Jesus commends the Ephesians for their strict stand on apostleship and discernment. Yet in spite of these good things, there was something missing. What was it? Well, that brings us to our fourth point, and that is God's cry for love. Now, you know, when we think of God, we think of Him having no need whatsoever. But I want you to know that God desires to receive our love from us. Notice in verse 4, and that's exactly what was missing. In verse 4, here in chapter 2, he says, Nevertheless, this is the indictment that he brings against them. In spite of all of the good things, there was something that needed to be corrected. He says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. In other words, they were busy working, they were going through the motions without the emotion, the wrong motivation. And listen, you know, God is looking to draw out from his people their love. In the book of Jeremiah, for example, as a cross-reference here, if you just quickly turn with me to chapter 2 and verses 1 through 5, Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this uh, follows along the same idea how that God is seeking out love from his people. 
in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? So that was the very thing that was missing. Their love, the right motivation. You know, in 2 Corinthians, we are told that it is the love of Christ that constraineth us. And I think that there's a dual application of that. Yes, it's the love of Christ that draws us to Him, but, you know, it's that love that we have for Him. That's what He's seeking to do in and through our lives as well. And so we can mask our true spiritual condition by just going through the motions without the emotions. So here's the question. When we think of Jesus, is it with that same freshness of love that we had when we first believed? That is when our burdens and sins were lifted. That rest, that joy, that excitement, or has time dulled our emotions? Have we slid back into the drab, ordinary, taking things for granted mode? You know, that's religion versus devotion. Listen, at one time, this was David's experience. This is not unusual if we don't guard ourselves against this. David slipped into this funk. And that's the reason why in the 51st Psalm, in verse 12, he wrote and prayed, cried out to God, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And so listen, as we walk along the years of our Christian life, are we allowing sin to dog our steps more closely? Are we neglecting prayer? Are we neglecting Bible study? Remember, there was a time when you just couldn't wait to get to church. You couldn't wait. You were so excited to open up your Bibles to learn about the Lord. Or... Presently, are we less faithful and zealous than once we were? Listen, Jesus misses us. He misses our first love. And he's crying out for that love. And he wants us to return. Okay, so with that said, he brings that indictment against the church at Ephesus. He then goes forward and begins to counsel them. And I'm so thankful that... You know, the Lord doesn't only uh, draw our attention to the things that need to be adjusted or, or changed, but then he also offers counsel on how to go about it. He doesn't leave it to ourselves to work these things out. So that becomes our fourth point, and that is Christ's counsel, which is recorded for us, notice, in the first part of verse 5. Let's go ahead and read that. He says, Remember, therefore... From where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. So that's the Lord's counsel. Just think of it this way. Uh, many Bible teachers refer to this counsel as the three R's. What are those three R's? If you're taking notes, write this down. Remember, 
repent, and then repeat. The three R's. Remember, repent, and repeat. You see, they had fallen from their fellowship, and notice, this is simply dependent upon spiritual exercises. I love that. You don't really have to add some great occupation to, you know, coming back to the Lord or getting right with the Lord. It all depends upon our first works, the ABCs of Christianity, fellowship, Bible study, prayer, and also the working of holiness within our lives. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 2, and verse 1, we are exhorted along these lines, where we are told we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. And so the warning is served up for us there in that book of the Bible. Now, notice this leaving of their first love, and I think that this is important. He says that they left their first love, not lost. Notice according to verse 4. So the idea here is the soul's distance from Christ can be restored. So it's never too late to come back, even as it was never too late for the prodigal son to go back to his father's house, right? In that story, we can be restored. We can be restored. It's never too late. It's only one step back. You might feel right now that you're a million miles away from the Lord. All you need to do is turn in that direction and take the first step. And you'll find the Lord waiting for you on that road to receive you once again. As one of his sons, one of his daughters, even as was true of the prodigal son, in his experience going home to uh, be with his father once again. Now these believers were told that they were to return to that early attitude of fellowship. And if not, they were going to sustain a great loss. What was that loss? Well, let's go back to our text. Notice in the latter part of verse 5. He says, Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, that is, unless you repent. Okay, so what's this all about? Well, this is a reference to the presence of Christ. Remember in the vision in chapter 1, John turns and he immediately sees the menorah, the seven golden candlesticks, and Jesus in the high priestly garments standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, present in the midst of his church, because that menorah represents the church. And so this is a reference removing his presence from the candlesticks. This is a reference to the presence of Christ in their midst. They would lose the sense of his presence. The sphere of influence, the sphere of power, which would ultimately turn out to be a deadness about the church, a coldness. So what happened? What happened here? Well, the lampstand has been removed from its place. But in spite of their feeble love, notice the Lord finds one more thing to commend them for, and that's found in verse 6. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so now, let me say this. We don't know much about this group, except what we understand from its name, the Nicolaitan. Uh, it comes from two Greek words, 
Nico and Laos, which basically means establishing a priesthood over a laity. That is exalting a clergyman over a laity. Which notice Jesus says, this thing I hate, verse 6. And why would it be that Jesus would hate that? Because it puts one man closer to God than another. And we're not to look to man, but rather we are to look to God. And so, well, the message to this church at Ephesus is now concluded. Will that congregation follow his lead? Notice in verse 7, He who has an ear, this is the question, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And then he encourages them to be an overcomer. And listen, gang, we, like them, are ordered by Jesus to hear the Spirit's word, to be doers of the word, to be overcomers. And then notice, he provides an incentive for this in the latter part of verse 7. He says, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So there's the incentive. The tree being referred to here in the midst, the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, which was first mentioned in the book of Genesis in chapter 3, there in the Garden of Eden, and then is latter found in the midst of the new city of Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, which one day the members of his church, past and present, will occupy, depicted for us in the book of Revelation in chapter 22. But the idea here is that those who hate evil, those who hate evil deeds, the evil deeds of the world, and idolatrous worship are given in Christ abundant life and eternity to come. So that's the idea here. Listen, gang, what a great future we have together with Christ, dwelling together with his bride, the church in that new city of Jerusalem, the world restored to its original state, like back in the Garden of Eden, but even better than that. No more tears, no more suffering, no more sickness. All provision is free and abundant. For sure, gang, this is something that we don't want to miss out on. And so, may God give us ears to hear that we may be open to the Spirit and the instruction of God's Word. And may we never lose that freshness of our love for Jesus Christ. More than anything else, that's what we need to take away from this letter that was written to the church at Ephesus. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Revelation. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online at oneplace.com by searching for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. 
We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you have any questions for us, just give us a call at 212-247-1877. We'd be honored to pray for you too, so feel free to let us know how we can do that for you. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links at harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place for